Welcome to ESA Explores, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. You're listening to our Time and Space series. In this series, we explore how human spaceflight has grown and changed in Europe throughout history and where we're going next, in conversation with the experts and astronauts who make it happen. I'm Ali Kohler, co-hosting with Stephen Ennis, and this podcast is Go for Launch. This before ESA's European Astronaut Corps was even a loose collection of dust and gas, human spaceflight was exciting the minds of intrepid Europeans. In fact, Europe's first foray into space exploration came in the heat of the Cold War. At the end of World War II in 1945, the now well-documented Operation Paperclip saw around 1,600 German scientists, engineers and technicians taken from Germany to the United States. There they worked on America's behalf during the Cold War. Around the same time, over 2,000 German specialists were recruited by the Soviet Union, many of them forcibly and there their knowledge was put to work in aviation, nuclear research, and the development of rocket technology. This fueled a fierce space race between the two superpowers, culminating in the flight of cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, the first human to journey into outer space, in 1961, and the first lunar landing, eight years later, in 1969, when NASA's Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. Though Western European countries were free to invest in research and space-related activities on their own, those scientists remaining in Europe realised that national projects simply couldn't compete with the US and Soviet efforts. More could be achieved by working together, something that remains just as true in space to this day. Two prominent members of the Western European scientific community, Eduardo Amaldi of Italy and Pierre-Victor Auger of France, recommended European governments set up a purely scientific joint organisation in a similar model to CERN, the European Laboratory for Particle Physics. By 1964, countries were laying the groundwork for the European Launch Development Organisation, ELDO, to work on launches and the European Space Research Organization, ISRO, to make spacecraft. The merger of these two organizations and their 10 founding member states led to the creation of the European Space Agency in 1975. Before that, though, Europe was already involved with Space Shuttle, having been invited by NASA to participate in post-Apollo space programs in 1969. That's something we'll talk a bit more about in our next episode. However, the first Europeans to fly actually did so under a program of the Soviet Union, known as Intercosmos. This program was designed to help the Soviet Union's allies with crewed and uncrewed space missions, and was in part a response by the Soviet Union to NASA's plans of including non-Americans in their post-Apollo space program. The first non-Russian or American to fly was Vladimir Remek, of what was then known as Czechoslovakia. Vladimir flew in 1978 as part of the Soviet Intercosmos program. He was one of 11 Europeans to fly under Intercosmos, and his flight marked the start of the first major era in human spaceflight in Europe. In this clip from Radio Prague International, Ian Willoughby shares more. Yeah, 
On March 2, 1978, the Soyuz 28th spaceship took off from Kazakhstan. It was the first mission in the Intercosmos program, intended to give the Soviet's Eastern Bloc allies access to space. On board were Soviet cosmonaut Alexei Gubarev and Vladimir Remek, the first and so far only Czech in space. Speaking to the nation from Soyuz 28, Remek, naturally a party member, made reference to the communist takeover of 30 years previously. It was back then, in those victorious days of February 1948, that our flight into the cosmos really began. And now here I am in space with my friends. To gain a better understanding of what spaceflight was like at that time, we spoke to one of the Europeans involved in the Intercosmos program, Doran Purnaru. He flew aboard the Russian Soyuz 40 spacecraft and Salute 6 space laboratory in May 1981. And so it all started in 1977, right, around this time. At that time, the main, let's say, spaceflight going on was Intercosmos. NASA was very quiet in this period. So was there a sense that the Soviet Union was leading the way with Intercosmos at that time? So actually, the Soviet Union proposed to all Eastern European countries, and not only, uh, including some other countries like Mongolia, Cuba, they proposed to take part in the research program, space research program, named Intercosmos. They started Intercosmos in 1967, and Romania joined Intercosmos in '69. We developed in the country in the framework of this program and with the help of national institutions, research centers, uh, trained researchers, engineers, physicians, medical staff, biologists, and so on. Together, groups of two, three, four countries prepare experiments from the outer space. In the beginning, under the supervision of the Russians of the Soviet Union, because they had all the standards. And they knew how to build all these things, how to test all of them, to work properly in the space. I just remember that when, uh, when I was selected for my space flight, only 17 devices uh, built in Romania flew into the outer space on board Intercosmos rockets. They were launched from Kapustin Yar, Volgograd, near Volgograd, was a launch place for uh, small rockets. Doran was one of 11 Europeans to fly under the Intercosmos program. And though selection was tough and training was intensive, it was certainly a little bit different to the recruitment campaigns run by ESA today. Having already graduated from the Faculty of Aerospace Engineering in Bucharest and worked for some time in a helicopter and glider factory, Doran says he didn't even entertain the thought of flying to space until he was carrying out his compulsory military service. At which point the commander came to his military unit and asked, Who wants to volunteer for the outer space? He gave us some explanations. Romania take part in the program. It's part of the Intercosmos program. Uh, we already sent several experiments into space with Russian rockets. But now it's time to, to prepare people to accomplish much more complex experiments into the outer space. And so we looked to each other. We had a profession. We had a workplace in the factory. I was already married. I had the first son. I have two sons now. And I wondered myself why I should go to, to fly to the outer space. And uh, the commander just gave us some incentives. He said, who wants to uh, take part in the selection? We'll fly a military airplane to Bucharest. It was about 300 kilometers. 
uh, we'll have a medical investigation full on behalf of uh, us, of the military people, while staying in the military unit and running every morning kilometers with uh, heavy things uh, on my shoulders and so on. And I said, yes, I want to raise the hand. And that's all. For sure, when, uh, when we started to find out what it's about, it became much more interesting that in the beginning, when the commander just explained that as Romania takes part in the program. And I became found on space. I, I learned a lot. Two of us went to, to Star City to be trained, fully trained for the space flight. Me and my colleague, Dimitri Dediu, was, was 10 years older. Was not easy in the beginning because uh, we didn't learn in school Russian. Romania was out of these obligations. I learned French and German in the school. In my naivety at that time, I asked the commander if a translator would follow us into Russia to translate all <laughs> the courses and the explanations. He laughed and he said, okay, now you have to start to learn Russian. Of course, we started in the beginning in Romania, but the basics, the real uh, language we learn in Star City. One thing that has remained relatively unchanged is the amount of time and effort that goes into training to become an astronaut and preparing to fly to space. Actually, the selection in Romania started in uh, April uh, 77. In the fall of the 77, I just graduated from the courses, military courses, and I was already selected for uh, volunteers for the space flight. And I continued my work in the military unit. Then they moved me from the factory to the military unit together with a team of guys selected then. Started our training, uh, special courses on uh, space flight, uh, rockets, anything that was available in Romania at that time, starting Russian. And three of us went to Moscow for uh, the final medical investigations. And two of us were declared available for uh, full training. March 78, we uh, arrived in Star City. Uh, started the training, then nobody knew when we'll fly. It was supposed that we'll fly in 7980, very quick. But the first flight of one of the members of our team, the Bulgarian one, failed. And uh, all space flights were delayed with one year to find out the cause of the failure of the spacecraft, to, to train the astronauts, taking into account the new spatial situations, met into space. So for about two years, I learned a lot, like in a master course, every half a year exams. Then uh, I started practical training together with uh, my partner. In the beginning, I had uh, Evgeny Hrunov, who was a Russian cosmonaut. Experienced, he flew in 69, but pretty tense. And uh, it was pretty hard to work with him. We were not at all compatible. Just by, uh, by uh, an internal cause in Star City, he was removed from the cosmonaut team. And then Leonid Popov just came back from half a year space flight on board Salyut 6 space station. He was asked to team with me. So we were very compatible. Uh, the difference in age was only seven years. So he was very well trained, very funny guy. And we understood each other very, very well from the very beginning. And we really had the highest codes and exams, learned together, were trained together, flew together, and still are friends. Now, you might think that being the very first person from your country to fly into space would be a really big deal. You'd be swamped by media requests, everyone would want a piece of you everywhere you went. And it was like that, but not until the cosmonauts returned from space. Beforehand, everything was kept completely secret. People didn't even know that Doran was in training. 
you know, you, you had to live at that time in such a country. At that time, uh, it was tough embargo on a lot of information. Nobody knew that two Romanians are trained for a space flight. During all three years of our training, just family and close friends, they knew that we are trained for a space flight. And it was announced in Romania that crew, a mixed crew, a Russian-Romanian crew will fly into space just a few days before our space flight. The date of launch was not properly announced. Nobody knew exactly. And the Russians had the system at that time to inform the population about a new space flight just after the spacecraft turned once around the Earth and they noticed that everything is okay. It's no failures. So they announced only the successful space flights. For the unsuccessful ones, they had approved kind of standard information and they did it properly. So the population of Romania found out that I'm into the outer space one and a half hour after I was launched. Of course, the newspaper published our pictures, uh, some materials about the space flight. But only then they found out that uh, we fly into space. When I came back, of course, everybody was informed that I came back. The newspapers wrote about our successful space flight. Then they were informed that we were received by the leaders of the Soviet Union, of Romania, got some orders. Uh, so we didn't fly for orders. We didn't fly for honor, for being uh, glorified. But we flew professionally for ourselves and for our countries. But then a full uh, new situation occurred. We became public persons. Everybody wanted to touch us, to talk to us. It was quite impossible to leave for about one year. It was very stressy. Till I start to manage all these things and to accommodate and to find my ways to manage, to meet the people, to tell about the story, to, to act professionally, because I continue my work, my professional work, man, being part also of the space system in Romania but also being part of the military system. When I was selected, I was a civilian one. Right after I was selected, and they were sure that they have to send me to the Soviet Union, the Ministry of Defense proposed me to become an officer. This was a really remarkable time in the history of human spaceflight, and I think one that's never really been repeated. It all seems very matter-of-fact speaking to Doran now, but of course, you know, he lived it, it's his experience. But I really can't imagine what it must have felt like to be thrown into that kind of intensive training in Russia and fly to space and to know that only a few of your close friends and family are aware of what's going on. I mean, it really sounds like a Soviet era thriller. I know. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? Imagine it. The secrecy around those intercosmos missions. It's certainly a stark contrast to how we do things today. Imagine if we just sent Tomas, say, to space, didn't tell anyone about it until he was in orbit. It just just wouldn't happen. But Doran, he literally left for space a regular Romanian and he returned a national hero just overnight. And that question, right, uh, to just be working on the factory floor and to be interested in, in flight and in space and then to have your boss ask you who wants to fly to space. I mean, <laughs> that's that should go in the trailer of the movie right there. Yeah. Would you put your hand up? I would definitely have some follow up questions <laughs> um, like how am I getting to space and uh, who am I going to space with? But I mean, 
Uh, yeah, for the free medical, I'd be in for sure. <laughs> it's definitely a selling point. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Would you put your hand up? I don't know. But it, but then again, those shorter duration space flights, they might be the way to go. I don't think I'd be up for six months on the International Space Station like the like the astronauts do today. That's that's pretty intense. But these ones were pretty intense as well. Doran, he completed 22 different experiments while he was up there in just an eight day mission. Yeah, actually, I, I totally agree with you. I think if I was by some miracle selected to fly to space, I would want to do a short duration mission. Uh, I like fresh fruit and vegetables just way too much. <laughs> okay, so getting back a little bit to the era that we're in and its place in history, this was the first step for Europeans into space, but what came next? Yeah, well, actually, it's not so much what came next as to what was happening in parallel. So in 1973, ISRO, um, which is the European Space Research Organization, the precursor to ESA, and NASA, they agreed to build Space Lab, which was this really cool modular kind of science package that slotted into the space shuttle and, you know, enabled them to do a lot more science and research in space. The construction for that started in 1974, and the first module was given to NASA in exchange for flight opportunities for European astronauts. Right. So the first of these astronauts was Ulf Merbold. And I think when it comes to ESA NASA collaboration, Space Lab is, is just my absolute favorite in this regard, because Space Lab, I mean, it really transformed what you could do with the space shuttle. The space shuttle was already this miraculous, incredible, multitasking machine. But when you put Space Lab in its cargo bay, it became kind of like a mini space station, which is incredible. And it was, of course, a huge step forward for European industry and for the European Space Agency, then ESRO, in terms of you know making something like this, making human-rated space hardware for the first time ever. But we're actually getting ahead of ourselves here. We can't give you all the goods on Space Lab now. You need to tune in for episode two, because that's when we'll be covering Space Lab and starting to look at ESA's contribution to the International Space Station today with ESA's first International Space Station program manager. So no spoilers for the next episode, but when we spoke to Alan Thurkittle, who is this first ISS program manager for ESA, we could have stayed on the line for hours with Alan. He's a wealth of knowledge and experience. If our editors would let us, uh, we would definitely release all many, many hours of discussions with Alan and his incredible stories about Europeans' history in spaceflight. But don't worry, we have cut it down to a reasonable length. So until then, if you've enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. Give us a, a good rating and subscribe because we really want to bring you along with us on this journey. It's going to be a super interesting season looking at the history of spaceflight in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And a tweet to at ESA Spaceflight for me, specifically for me, if you have any interesting, cool stories from the intercosmos era, please share them. This is an era of spaceflight that I'm really, really interested in. And I feel like it doesn't get enough attention. <laughs>